right, back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. There are two big words. Actually, they're short words, but they're big in terms of content. Two big words in the New Testament that are related, but they're different. And sometimes we confuse them. Grace and mercy. My dad used to say, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And that's a pretty handy way of remembering. Grace is a gift. It's it's something you have not earned. Our access to God through Jesus is by grace in Romans chapter 5. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we are saved by grace. Grace. Grace can also be the strength and the energy to do God's will. We are supplied that. Mercy is pardon or liberation. A person is shown generosity. Maybe it's the guy sitting outside the convenience store who asks for money when you walk in and you give him something. Uh, or else something is removed, uh, an illness, uh, a disability, uh, some immediate need is supplied. That's mercy. Blessed are the merciful. This virtue of mercy is taught and valued all through the scriptures. But that doesn't mean it's easily put into practice. You can see it over and over again and say, yes, this is, this is very important. You can see the need of it, the beauty of it in action. But to actually come out with it, um, it's not always easy. Now, like the previous Beatitudes, this is one of those character qualities of the person who has entered the kingdom of heaven. And that's, that's Jesus' message, is that there is this spiritual dimension that has been opened to us now, and it's, it's the source of joy and, and power and goodness, everything that energizes the Christian life and makes it possible and makes it wonderful. Um, But everything in the Beatitudes is not what we would expect. The difference of this Beatitude uh, from the ones we've looked at already is it is geared to the way that we treat others. It's not simply developing an inner state or responding uh, spiritually to our poverty of spirit, our, our grief, and so on. This, is, this really has to do with what occurs between us and others. After last week, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, uh, righteousness being related to justice, um, we might expect the next beatitude to be somewhat different than this. A religious brain could think, Yes, justice. It's about time we got to that. 
those oppressive tycoons who hoard their wealth and don't share it, those slackers who think that um, the world owes them a living. Um, It's about time that God's judgment rolled down on all these sinners. I hunger and thirst for righteousness. I hunger and thirst for justice. Let's see it happen. Um, But Jesus says, no, um, that's not the answer. Uh, You failed the quiz. Um, he, He asks, if you're condemning the world, how can you save it? How can you have all this negative energy for the world and go to it with a positive energy of the gospel. It's interesting that John 3.16 should, should be such a famous verse, and, and not just made famous by a guy in a rainbow wig going to sporting events. I mean, way before that, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and so on. We, you know, most of us know it by heart. And we know that so well, we don't know what comes next. And what comes next, Jesus says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, it says in the King James, um, but that the world through him might be saved. And he wouldn't be much of a savior if he came as our condemner. Judgment, when, when judgment comes, it's, it's a destructive force. It destroyed the world by a flood in Noah's time. It destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and a couple of other cities by fire and brimstone in Lot's time. We don't want to see judgment come to the earth. We don't, I mean, justice, we'd like to see more of that in, in the right sense, but not condemnation all, all over the place. I definitely, personally, do not want to see sinners get fried because I know I'm first on the list. Um, It's like, okay, where do we start? Let's start with that guy, that hypocrite. Um, All right, so blessed are the merciful. Not not blessed are those who, you know, uh, savor the idea of of sinners roasting in, uh, in the ovens of hell. On the other hand, mercy does not undermine justice or righteousness. In other words, well, if sentence, if a just sentence were to be passed on this person, but God has forgiven them instead, well, then what happens to justice? Mercy has undermined justice, but that's not how it works. Mercy is not blind or stupid. Mercy protects a child by keeping all the knives and matches out of his reach. Um, And it can also be mercy that holds a person accountable for their actions. Now, there's a good example of this in in John chapter 2, pardon me, John chapter 8, where a woman is brought to Jesus, and she was caught in this flagrant violation of the law, and they remind Jesus that Moses said, that a person who who has done what she's done is to be executed by stoning. And Jesus' response is, well, okay, whoever hears without sin can throw the first stone. And then they all drop their stones and walk away. 
And it's just Jesus and the woman now. And he says to her, woman, where are your, your accusers? Is there no one left to condemn you? And she said, no one, sir. And he said, I do not condemn you either. Mercy. Go. From now on, sin no more. Justice. In other words, mercy can be excellent for reforming a person, for deterring uh, repetition of the same behavior. She stood there in that room for a while in front of all these people in front of Jesus, hearing that she could be stoned for what she's done and perhaps trembling with shame and fear. And Jesus says, I'm not going to condemn you. You can go. Just don't keep doing this. All right? So mercy does not undermine justice, but it brings justice in a different form. Okay, what happens now if we start putting the Beatitudes together? Um, I used to believe that the Beatitudes were like a stairway. And, you know, first you start off with poverty of spirit, then you step up to grief uh, and so on. But I don't think that anymore. Uh, However, those Beatitudes that we've encountered already really help to promote mercy. I mean, they really, you know, add up to, you're almost automatically going to be this type of person. My own poverty of spirit makes me less critical of others. I mean, who am I to come down on you for whatever you do that's wrong, whatever mistakes you make or sins you commit? Um, I know my own brokenness. Uh, I was talking one time to a friend who's a pastor and he said uh, I really enjoy speaking in prisons and honor farms uh, you know high level and low level security penal institutions he said the wonderful thing there is you don't have to tell anyone they're a sinner you know they already know it you know I wouldn't be here if I weren't and um, and that's how I am. You know, how, how can I, poor in spirit, come down on someone else? My grief enables me to understand the grief of others. Meekness or humility helps me to look past myself. It's not all about me all the time. Hunger and thirst for righteousness become motivation for doing what is righteous for making this my practice. So what's happened as I come to blessed are the merciful, what's happened for me is I'm starting to see how they combine and how they all become integrated and support each other and together create a whole person. And and when I say whole, of course, W-H-O-L-E, the wholeness that we're looking at here is, is the complete person. Um, I want to mention this again later, but at the end of this chapter, Jesus says, therefore, be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, I give up. I'm going home. Yep. Um, what does that mean? Well, the, uh, perfect is not a great translation. The, the 
telos or teleos here means complete, mature, or whole. And um, the Sermon on the Mount is about wholeness, the whole person. And that's why Jesus covers so many different things. But these are not separate things. Um, they're, they're not self-existing. They all exist together and work together. So um, they become integrated parts of a whole system or a whole person or personality. And they give me a way to see myself for what I am. You know, um, you don't know and you don't need to know, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, lately, I've not been liking what I see in the mirror. And I think it's time to get a new mirror. <laughs> because changing myself is just too hard. I just don't have time for all that jogging and everything. But, um, but that's not how it works, is it? What I see in the Beatitudes reflecting back to me is a human who's incomplete and who struggles to be a better person and sometimes makes a little bit of progress and sometimes slips back and, and here we go. The Beatitudes tell me, though, that my brokenness does not qualify me being poor in spirit, being hungry and thirsty, grieving, uh, uh, mourning. These things do not disqualify me, um, but rather they sensitize me to God's gravitational pull toward himself. And I need help here. I need a higher power. I need um, divine assistance with this. And the Beatitudes show me that the only way to holiness is Jesus because all throughout um, just him being there saying these things, in essence, he's saying, this is what I'm about. This is why I'm here. And you bring this to me and I transform it. I redeem it. I make it right. The person who is made whole and never forgets at the same time his or her brokenness is a person who's able to show mercy. If I'm not whole, if I have deep insecurities, if I have low self-esteem, if um, I have a personality disorder, I'm not going to be merciful. I'm not a complete person. There's a sick part of me or a a dysfunctional part of me, and I'm I'm definitely not going to be merciful. I'm going to make snap judgments, and I'm going to stick to them. Uh, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a story about uh, the boss of a company, and he starts uh, calling in his creditors. And this one guy comes in, and the, the boss is looking at the books. He says, I, I see that you owe me $10,000. Um, you've got to pay up. And if you don't have the money, I'll have you thrown in prison. And the guy falls on his knees and he begs, please, I got a wife and kids and I, I just don't have the money. You know, I'll, I'll work hard, you know, I'll make installments. And it says that the, the boss felt compassion for him and forgave his debt. And the same guy went out, found some guy, some other poor Joe that owed him $10, grabbed him by the collar, 
dropped him to his knees and said, pay up or I'll be thrown in jail. And he says, look, I've got a wife and kids. We've gone on hard times lately. I'll make installments. And he said, that's no good. And he has them thrown in prison. And when the boss man hears about it, he, he calls that guy back and he says, what's this that I hear? I forgave you this enormous debt and you're holding this guy accountable for, you know, for a few dollars? You're going to prison now. He, he asks him, should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? This is the person who's able to, to be merciful, the person who's shown mercy. But maybe this is why Jesus did not say, blessed are those who have received mercy, for they shall become merciful. Because not everyone who has received mercy does become merciful. All right. Just so you know, um, we're not down on Roman Catholics here. Uh, I hope everyone's cool with that. Um, and if not, hey, you know, there's a dozen other churches within five miles that are. So you know, make yourself at home at one of them. But um, I mean, obviously, we're not down on Catholics uh, or Orthodox or hopefully any other Christian faith. We're even nice to Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. So um, anyway, what I'm saying, sometimes there are people who are like livid over Roman Catholicism. They, they worship Mary. They, um, they eat God. They, you know, uh, they have all these you know, horrible rituals. And, and they come off with the most ludicrous things. Um, and sometimes the most vehement of those are former Catholics who have been brainwashed in Protestant churches. Um, and isn't that interesting? That, and, and you also see it with people who used to be New Age, and now they're all down on anything in Christianity that looks a little New Age to them. It's like, it's like their own past, for which they've been forgiven, they cannot find forgiveness for others who have anything to do with it. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. We forget. We forget our brokenness and we're not whole. Now, uh, like the other Beatitudes, mercy does not always feel like a blessed state. It feels like losing rather than winning. It feels like being robbed of our rights, our right to see justice done. You know, why should our neighbor win the suit, or why should we just walk away? You know, they're the creeps of the neighborhood. Everyone knows it. Um, it robs us of our right to win an argument. Because after all, you know, we are right. Mercy and, and kindness many times leave us with a good feeling. You know, like, ah, oh, that was the right thing. I'm glad I, I did that. It, it can feel good if, you know, we think that we've helped someone out who uh, there's no reason why we should help them out. And, and no one ever, is ever going to find out about it. So we're not doing it just, you know, to uh, polish our, our uh, fingernails. It can feel good to show mercy. Sometimes it feels good to see a judge be merciful with uh, 
an accused. It feels good to show mercy unless that person's offense was against me. If the thief or the con artist has plundered my home or life savings, well, to be merciful to that person doesn't feel so good. To forgive the pedophile who killed my child, I can't imagine showing mercy to that person feeling good at all. I can't imagine showing mercy to that person, and that's me, and I apologize I would kill them, then I'd pray for them. <laughs> in that order. In, in such circumstances, showing mercy can be like salt on open wounds. All this I've suffered, and now I have to be merciful too? I cannot, will not pray for those who are crucifying me, in the act of crucifying me, Father Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because as far as I can tell, they bloody hell know exactly what they're doing. And I'm not appreciating it. God does not wish that our relationship would be hard. Oh, God, you're asking the impossible. Um, You're putting me in, in a situation where I just can't breathe. God does not mean for this to be hard, but we naturally find our, our way to all the wrong places, the wrong attitudes, the wrong evaluations of other people, the wrong conclusions. So it can seem that God is hard on us, but in God's self-revelation to, to Moses, Moses, God said, Moses, you know, you're my faithful servant, what can I do for you? And Moses said, show me your glory. It's like, no hesitation, no, let me think about that, God. You know, it's like the genie giving you three wishes. I wanted there to think about that. Um, he just comes right, show me your glory. It's the one thing I, I want. And God says, well, I can't actually show you myself. I can give you a revelation. And in, in the self-revelation, God's compassion comes first. You know, a theologian might say, no, 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 God's holiness comes first. But not when he reveals himself. His compassion comes first. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy and faithfulness, who keeps mercy for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. He's very, very easy on us, very light on us. I am harder on myself than God is. And I'm sure sometimes he's saying, why are you doing that? yourself now if anyone knows God knows that showing mercy can be painful I I read something in Vincent Bruner's book the model of love years ago and I've never been able to let go of it I don't think I want to he says one of the basic characteristics of forgiveness is that the one who forgives is the one who suffers The person who forgives is the person who has to pay the price for reconciliation. Since it is God who forgives, it is also God who has to pay the price and has to absorb into his own suffering the consequences of the wrong that we have done to him. 
I'm the one who forgives. I'm the one who suffers. First you robbed me of my valuables. Now you've robbed me of my right to hold resentment against you for the rest of my life. You've robbed me of my right to a pound of flesh because I must be merciful and forgiving. Um, But we never hear God saying, oh, I wish I didn't have to be merciful. I wish I didn't have to be compassionate and forgiving. He is who he is, and I believe he delights in who he is. And that's why he wants to share himself with everyone so that we can become like him also. Mercy is a willingness to feel empathy. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, to open your heart. He tells the Corinthians, we've opened our hearts to you. Now open your heart to us. This is, this is empathy. Open and, and caring. Empathy is being willing to experience another person's sadness or confusion or despair or fear or misery. Last night I was watching... Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 with uh, my granddaughter. And um, there's this uh, woman on Planet Ego, uh, which happens to be the creation of Kurt Russell. I don't think it's anything personal. But um, uh, she has these powers where if she touches another person, she feels what they feel. And there's this rather dense, muscle-bound hero who asks asks her, is this telepathy? And she said, no. Telepathy knows what another knows. Empathy knows or feels what another feels. I thought that was a great line. It's not telepathy, it's empathy. It's not about knowing, it's about feeling what the other feels. Mercy is definitely forgiving, but it's not only forgiveness. Mercy can be generosity and kindness, too. Um, William Barclay, making reference to the Hebrew word for mercy, chesed, says, it is an untranslatable word. And it really is. It, it has all kinds of translations into English. It's loving kindness. It's benevolence. It's um, tenderness. When blind Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He was not asking for forgiveness. He was asking for a miracle. When he came to Jesus, Jesus said, what can I do for you? And he said, Lord, that I might see. He he wanted to receive his sight again. Jim Forrest said, The works of mercy include any action of caring for others, especially those who are most easily ignored, dehumanized, or made into targets of wrath rather than love. I'm thinking right now of California's response team that has gone to Texas to help in saving lives, in um, looking for people who may 
have survived the worst conditions. Uh, 70 firefighters and, and four um, uh, dogs, uh, rescue dogs. And um, this is an expression of mercy. I, I would imagine that um, people who'd sign up for that kind of duty really care about human life, really care about others, and are willing to risk their own lives in order to save others. St. Gregory of Nyssa said, the trap here is to think that compassion is limited to material acts of kindness. I've got to reach into my pocket and give someone my loose change. But this cannot be the case, since it would limit compassion to the domain of the rich. No, I think it would be better to locate such a virtue in the intention. I think that anyone who has the intention finds something to give. And I've known Christians with no money to give who have sat with a homeless person and given time and given them the opportunity to tell their story and given loving consideration. As I said, this chapter ends, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You are to be a whole person as your heavenly father is whole. A parallel verse in Luke chapter 6 simply says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. And if we put those two verses side by side, to be merciful is to be perfect. And to be perfect is to be merciful. Like I say, there has to be a wholeness of a person's life for them to be able to show mercy. Otherwise, some sinkhole down inside is going to sabotage mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Okay. Um, Here's where I must exercise extreme self-control. Jesus is in in a situation where Pharisees are coming to him and complaining about his disciples because they're not doing what the law says they're to do, or they're doing something in violation of the law as they read it. And he says to them, well, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's quoting the prophet Hosea. And he's telling them, you need to go learn what this means. God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Here you're all into your ceremony of sacrifice and how you keep that and you have no mercy. And that, that's not what God wants. Later on, similar situation. Again, Jesus and his disciples are criticized and Jesus tells them, you know, if you knew what this meant. Now earlier he said, go, go find out what this means. Now the same verse he quotes again. If you knew what this meant, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Which is wonderful because he's saying that his disciples are innocent of any misdeed. And he's saying you're condemning them unjustly. You would not do this if you'd know that what's to prevail right now is mercy. 
In the next chapter, chapter 6, Jesus teaches us how to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Well, okay, you know, I get it. I think I can rework that to where I don't really have to forgive. But then he goes on to say in verse 14, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you did not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. In, chapter, in the next chapter, chapter 7, he says, Judge not, or you will be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Okay, God's passing out mercy. How much do you want? And you bring your cup. It's a very little cup. It's a thimble. And just that much mercy will do. And he puts, he gets a, a dropper and he puts a couple drops of mercy in there. And you look at it and you go, well, you know, that might not be enough to cover everything. And God says, yes, but that's all you get because that's all you ever showed. James said, James, good old James, nice guy. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. You're on your way to the courthouse. Okay, this is big. This isn't a traffic ticket. Your defending attorney is with you saying, oh no, the judge today is so-and-so. This is not good for our case. And you go wondering, will the judge understand? Will he hear me? Will the judge be lenient? And you get to decide. I want a lenient judge today who will acquit me. You get to make that decision. Think about that. Before going to court, you get to decide whether you're going to be acquitted or punished with the full force of the law. And it all depends on how you treat others now. Are you going to exercise the full force of the law? Well, they didn't do this and they didn't do that. I've heard so many criticisms about so many people in my lifetime. It just makes me not even want to hang around those kind of Christians anymore. Well, actually, I don't. Um, I don't think so-and-so should be an elder. Oh, why not? Because he addresses his prayer to Jesus, not to God. Oh, dear, I'm going to have to go back and look at Scripture because I do the same thing. Um, And it goes on and on. You have the divine authority to judge your own case, to determine if it's mercy or hard-nosed justice. So, 
Here's what I intend to do. I intend to make it a habit to catch myself when I jump to conclusions about another person. When I hear some trash about another person and immediately believe it. I'm going to catch myself when I make a judgment about another person or write someone off as I'm sometimes tempted to do. And when I catch myself, I'm going to take a deep breath, return to the present moment, the presence of God. I'm going to stand in the threshold for a moment before moving in or out. And I'm going to imagine what it would be like to live that person's life, which I may know something about or may know nothing But this may be someone who was beaten by her father her whole life with a mother standing by saying, give her hell, Jerry. Give her hell. And if that's the person who pissed me off on the freeway, And I can imagine just that much about that person. I don't want to try to race around them and slam on my brakes right in front of them. I want to let them go with a prayer. God bless them with love. God bless them with someone who heals those wounds and someone who cares. Do you get it? I want to imagine what kind of life this person possibly has or has had. And then I want to soak up all the mercy that God's ever shown me and then extend it to them and go on my way. Would you stand with me, please? May the Lord our God, who in his mercy accepts us just as we are, gladly forgives every sin and wrongdoing that we bring to him and by his grace empowers us to do better. Enable us to be just like our Father and may the world see that. May the world be less cruel and heartless, less violent and hateful because we are in it as agents of God's mercy and forgiveness. May the Lord bless us, keep away all evil, and lead us into eternal life in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.